Thank you, Tim, and thank you, Dale, for leading us in worship today. Around Thanksgiving time, Butterball Turkey Company has a helpline, and if you have trouble cooking your turkey, you call that helpline and they'll help you know how to cook your turkey. One year, someone called and said, my question is not about how to cook the turkey, but here's my question. We found this thing in our freezer. We've had this turkey in the freezer 23 years. Is it still good to eat? person on the other end of the line replied and said, well, yes, it'd be safe to eat, but I must tell you that after that length of time, the taste will have degenerated somewhat. So I wouldn't advise cooking it, but it'd be safe, but it just wouldn't be good. The lady that called said, well, that's what we were thinking. Said, we'll just give it to the church. <laughs> I mean, really? If, there were, if, if you were the one that made that call, please don't tell me, because I'll have to shoot you. I'm just telling you. Goodness gracious. I mean, what would be wrong with somebody like that that would want to give a second-rate gift to a first-rate cause. Really? I guess if I was being judgmental, and I am not a judgmental person, I have no position to judge anybody, I would say I'm not sure that person's a part of the real church. They may be a member of a church, but I'm not sure they're part of the real church. Now, I don't judge anybody. I tell everybody, do you think they're a Christian? I don't know who's a Christian and who's not. Sometimes by their actions, I can tell you I don't think so. But I don't know if they're a member of the real church. Jesus knows. One of my greatest favorite stories of all time. If you've heard me preach a lot, you've heard it, but just act like you haven't. It's a story of someone that was talking to one of my heroes of the faith years ago, hundred years, hundreds of years ago, John Wesley who founded, of course, Wesleyism and Methodism. George Whitfield was a contemporary preacher, different in style, different in content, powerful though. Both came to the American colonies, by the way, and started churches here. Whitfield was far more Calvinistic. Wesley, of course, was not. They fought a little bit about doctrinal things, but both powerful men of the gospel. Once someone said to Wesley, Mr. Wesley, do you think you shall see Mr. Whitfield in heaven? That's what we call a loaded question. To which he replied and said, no, I don't think I'll see him in heaven. Oh, really? So you think him not a converted man. He said, I didn't say that. I said, I don't think I'll see him in heaven. Well, what do you mean by that? He said, I think he will be so close to the throne of God and I'll be so far away from the throne of God, I doubt I'll ever get to see the man. Wow, what humility, what power. Jesus knows who will be there and who will not be there. 
He knows our hearts, and that is the heart of the passage that we're going to study today. He knows. He sees everything. He knows who's really a part of the real church and who's not. So look with me as we come to the latter part of chapter 2 of the book of John. John chapter 2. Now we're going to only study three verses, so my sermon is not going to be long. I know that disappoints you, but it's just the way it is. I'm going to focus on three verses and three only. Because why? I think that's all you can handle today. Next week we'll begin chapter 3, the precious passage that speaks about Nicodemus. But today, just chapter 2, verses 23, 24, and 25. Can you handle that? I hope you can. Chapter 2, beginning with verse 23, it says, And when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. Verse 24, But Jesus did not commit himself to them, because he knew all men. And had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Well, already in chapter 2, we've seen Jesus reveal three things, two things, today the third. First, we see him revealing the glory of God in the first part of chapter 2. Then the zeal of God as we looked at the middle part of chapter 2. And today, the knowledge of God. He reveals the knowledge of God. He reveals what God knows. And if you're ever looking for any proof about the deity of the Lord Jesus, you can find it in this chapter and in this passage. For only a God can know the inside thoughts and intents and emotions of every man, woman, boy, and girl who's ever lived. And Jesus did. He did. So we see Him revealing the knowledge of God. Well, first of all, before we even get to our main points, we see Jesus drawing great crowds. Where is he when this happens? He is in Jerusalem at the temple celebrating the Passover. As I said to you last week, there are three obligatory, big word, three uh, things you had to do in Judaism to get to the temple. Now, you could come at other times. But you had to come for the Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Those were the three must command obligatory times when you had to go. And Jesus always observed the law of God. Not always the law of man, but always observed the law of God. So he is in Jerusalem at the temple. He is celebrating Passover with his fellow Jews. And apparently during this time, he performs a lot of miracles. Now, some miracles are recorded. You are familiar with many of them. We've already studied in chapter 2, the first part, the first miracle Jesus ever performed, the turning of the water into wine. We had a good time studying that. We know many of his miracles, but all of his miracles are not recorded. Now, we know the Bible says that one about the wine and the water was the first of his miracles. So if you hear anyone talking about him performing miracles as a child, that's not true because the Bible's clear. This was the first. But there were many others, and not all are recorded. In fact, as we end the book of Luke, it says 
If you try to put everything that he ever did and said in a book, it wouldn't hold it. So there were things he did during this Passover in the temple of which we are unaware, of which we're not given any specificity. We don't hear it. We don't know what it is. But whatever it did, the people began drawing to him. He drew crowds wherever he went. Now, listen carefully to me. Miracles are always going to draw people. It's just the way it is because many people seek a miraculous more than anything else a miraculous event or occurrence more than anything else. But it can lead, as we're going to see, to a very shallow faith. Now, miracles can draw people to Christ like we're going to study about Nicodemus next week. And Nicodemus was drawn by the miracle, but it became much deeper. For some, it just stayed very shallow. So our first major point is Jesus does know the heart. He does know exactly what drew you to Him, but where you are now. He knows exactly what's happening. Now the Bible says here in these little short verses, in the first verse that we read, verse 23, that many believed in His name when they saw the signs which He did. So many professed belief in Him, but He did not accept their profession. That's kind of hard, isn't it? Because what it looks like here is we've got a lot of unbelieving believers. So a lot of people believed in His name because of the miracle, but Jesus didn't believe in them. It's kind of hard, isn't it? Well, it's because their faith was built on the miraculous and nothing more. They wouldn't go deeper than just being attracted to the miracles. And the Bible says He knew what was in man. He knows what's in every heart. He knows what's in every mind. Now in the book of John and other of the Gospels, we know He proved that, didn't He? In fact, do you remember back as we looked in chapter 1 of the book of John, Simon Peter, He knew exactly what was going on in Simon Peter's heart and mind. We continued as we studied in verse 46 of chapter 1, Nathaniel, Jesus knew exactly what was going on in his mind and heart. We're going to see it not only in the next chapter as he knew what was going on with Nicodemus. Chapter 4, my favorite, he knows what was happening in the heart and life and marriages, plural, of the woman at the well in Samaria. It goes on and on and on. In, in fact, in chapter 5, he knew what was going on in the minds of the Jewish leaders. In chapter 6, he knew what was going on in his own disciples when one of them was revealed not to be a true believer. One of his own disciples. Then chapter 8, another one of my favorites, he knew what was going on in the heart of a woman caught in the act of adultery. In the latter part of John, we're going to see him knowing what is happening uh, as his uh, disciples gathered in the upper room and his message, he knew all then what was going on in their hearts, their intents, their emotions. So we see many times Jesus knew what was in man. He knows. He knew. Now that is both a comforting and a frightening thing, isn't it? It is frightening because Jesus knows that which we would rather not reveal. And every man and woman has things they'd rather not reveal. 
But he knows all of those things. And that is somewhat disconcerting. And that's when I say, and all God's people said, ouch. Not amen, but ouch. I know it's true. I don't want everybody to know. But he knows. He knows every thought, every intent, every emotion, every inclination. He knows. It is a frightening thing to know that Jesus knows the heart. But it is also a comforting thing, my friends. He knows every emotion. You see, He consciously interacts with us at every level. He knows when there are groanings and agony inside of us that we do not even know how to verbalize. But He knows. So it is both frightening and comforting at the same time that Jesus knows the heart. He really does. He knows every sorrow. He knows every experience, every emotion. Some of you say, I'm just an emotional creature. Well, He knows every one of your emotions. And you know what I'm talking about. You felt Him speak to you in times of sin and sadness, in times of victory, in times of defeat. You know what I'm talking about. You've sensed Him speaking to your heart. You've sensed Him relating to you consciously at every level. And then even you know when He has dealt with you unconsciously. You've experienced it, haven't you? As a true follower of Christ, you know His hand in your life. You've seen it. You've felt it. You know it's true. Jesus knows the heart. Say it out loud with me. Jesus knows the heart and the mind and the emotion and every part of our existence. Well, second, Jesus believes in those who are in His family. Jesus believes in those who are in His family. Now, look at verse 23. Let's study a little Greek here in 23 and 24. What does it say in the middle of verse 23? Many believed in His name. But Jesus, in verse 24, did not what? Entrust Himself, commit Himself to them. If you really want to know the truth, it's the same word in Greek. And both really mean believe. Both really mean believe. They believed in Him, but He didn't believe in them. Why? Because they were not really a part of His family. They had been drawn to the miraculous, but never allowed it to go any deeper. Jesus knows the heart. He knows if we really have ever gone past our belief in the miraculous. And so Jesus believed in those who were in His family, but... He did not believe in those who were just of shallow faith. They believed in Him, but He didn't believe in them. You may say, well, that's hard. Well, it's the way it is. He knows who's in His family. They may have responded to a miracle, but it's something else to commit oneself in totality to the gospel cause, isn't it? Now, John was not discrediting the importance of the miraculous. He really was not. He reported them. He shared with with us what they were and what the theological meaning was. But John also makes it very clear, doesn't he, that believing in miracles is not enough. It takes more. 
And that's why in John 3, he's going to do that mountain Ever- Mount Everest of passages about us believing in Him so that we might have eternal life. It's not just believing in the miracle. It's believing that Jesus is who He said He was. Now the Jewish people were very divided about the miraculous. We know we're going to see about Nicodemus. He was drawn to Christ by the miraculous. But he went deeper than that. Some Jews believed that the miracles of Jesus were done by the power of Satan. They accused him of being in league with the evil one. So some affirmed the miraculous of Jesus. Some denigrated the miraculous of Jesus. But Jesus always tied his miracles to the truth of his message. There was always a method to what he did. And so he wanted people to simply do this. Now here's what some of us will never get. We, we have a phrase in the English language. Seeing is... But that's not the way it is with Jesus. He wants you to believe so that you can see. So seeing is believing. Well, it's got to go deeper. Believing is seeing the reality of what really is down deep. And, and that's what Jesus was trying to get across He knew the human human heart was attracted to the miraculous, but it had to go deeper. We're going to read about him feeding 5,000 people, and they wanted to follow him because, boy, we got free groceries. But when he started talking about the bread of life, they left in droves. We see him preaching that there's more than just physical food, there's spiritual food. And when that happened, they abandoned him. As we follow the ministry of Jesus throughout the book of John, we're going to see many, many people leave him, even his own disciples. It starts with thousands, and it goes down to 72, and then it goes down to 12, and by the time the end comes, it's just a handful We see him moving gradually out of the bright light of great popularity to the dim, dark world of rejection. Because his message began to penetrate hearts and he began to really say what it matters and what it means. And and that's why true believers are always those who will stand firm to the end. But there's always some that float in and out and then they're gone and they want to give bad turkeys to the church. Jesus knows the human heart. Believing is seeing the reality of God's Son, and only God can look into the heart. And that's why, friends, I challenge you to memorize verse 25. He had no need that anyone should testify of man. He didn't need human testimony because he knew what was in man. Memorize especially that last part, and let it be a constant encouragement, but also warning. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're feeling. And some of you can say, well, I'm good about keeping a guard on my mouth. Well, good. I'm glad. I have known people who couldn't do that. I've teasingly pointed out some people who never had an unspoken thought. If they spoke it, boom, out it came. No kind of holding back. Well... 
Let me tell you, it's good sometimes to hold back. But he knows what's even in the heart. He knows what the motive was. He knows the thought. He knows the intent. He's got it all. And I believe God is calling us today to recognize that. And to ask ourselves the question, are we a part of the crowd? Or are we a part of the core? Are we those that just want to be fed physically but not fed spiritually? Are we someone who believes in the head or in the heart? Are we someone who believes, you better show me and I'll believe, or is someone who says, I believe and then I will see? Are we a part of the fan club or are we a part of the family? I pray you'll be able to answer that question today. Say, Lord, I want to be a part of the core. I want to be a part of the family. I want to be a part of the real faith. It's time to be done with pretense, and it's time to be done with facade. You see, I believe conviction either leads to conversion or opposition, and it's time to be a part of the converted, real people of God. He knows the answer. He knows. So we finish chapter 2, and we see that he's revealed the glory of God. He's revealed the zeal of God. And now he reveals the knowledge of God. And I ask you, will you give him everything this morning? Will you give him all that you have? Will you give him a leftover bad taste in turkey? Or will you give him everything that you are? I close with this question. Does Jesus believe in you? He did not believe in these who had a shallow, miracle-based faith. Does he believe in you? Can you answer that question and they say, Pastor, I know that I know that I know that he believes in me. Because my faith, not perfect, but it's real. It's deep, and I'm a part of the core, not just the crowd. I hope so. I really hope so. Pray with me. Father God, in Jesus' name we come. I thank you, Lord, for this precious passage. Lord, I want Jesus to believe in me. I want him to believe in me. I want him to believe in every man, woman, boy, and girl in this place. Because their faith is more than just superficial, shallow, but serious and special. Oh God, I pray right now that you would draw us unto yourself and give us another opportunity to give it all to you. To hold nothing back. Never be a part of that silly group who would give second rate to a first rate cause. But to give our hearts all to you. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name.